All right. All right. Here we are. Here we are. Welcome back. Welcome back. Coming in hot. Uh, coming in hot. Oh, and what get you got your checklist? What's next on the checklist? We we should introduce ourselves at some point this morning. Yep. yep. <laughs> and maybe say the name of the show. And then I think we're uh, in pretty good shape uh, after that. This is Science in Between, and this is Ollie. And this is Scott. Yeah. And there we go. Done. And there it is. Boom. We we got all the ch- you know, you would think it's after not like brain surgery. After this many episodes, episode 61. This is that's correct. Maybe unless it's yeah. incorrect and then we'll correct it later. Yeah. So episode 61, there's that. And yep. we would, we would have sort of like an idea of what we're doing, but you know, in terms of our intros or something, you know, but no, but no. no, not so much. We're still, no, we're still, yeah. Yeah. Just the, okay. you know, the, we, I, I, I put it in the, you know, the mindless banter, the beginning mm. of every episode. Mindless so, banter. Manless banter, mindless banter. <laughs> <laughs> as opposed as opposed to the mindful banter that they're gonna get yes. in just a minute. When yes. We get, when we, get when we actually get stuff. focused. Yeah. So so what are we talking about today, Uncle Scott? <laughs> oh well, Ollie, sit down on the mat, crisscross applesauce, and we'll talk about universal design for learning. Yes, there we are. I've got um, a picture book. That sounds great. Does it? I could I could I could go for some uh, you know picture some... book of UDL. No, no, just no. A, a picture book. Just, you know, sit by the fire oh, and I see. Know, listen yeah. to, a, you know, picture book. Yeah. So this, if, uh, except for our detour last week, which was all around like conferences, which I was on like a sort of like this conference, you know, mindset because I just gotten back from one. Um, we've been doing this, these around like inclusive practices. And so we talked about ones that were emerging in the science ed realm, but then I, I, I thought we'd talk about ones that are like more general because this is popping up and like diversity equity and inclusion is everywhere right now i will say it is the conversation that's happening in uh collegiate settings it's happening in uh, k-12 settings it's like how do we make our our classroom environments our schools you know our 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 teacher workforce more diverse more inclusive more equitable and i think some of that comes down to the things we do not only as science teachers in our classroom but also as just teachers in general, like, and, and, you know, it's comes down to hiring. It comes, I mean, it's such a huge thing and we're not going to be able to do it justice in like, you know, I don't know, six, five, six episodes or whatever we're doing on this. But we thought we'd at least talk about how these things are bubbling up in some places. And I think UDL is one of those ones that is, it really deserves some attention in terms of inclusive classroom practices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually, I, I just heard, I don't know if you've heard this, yet or not but somebody in a meeting i was in the other day said dei and b and that is a first for me so that is diversity equity inclusion and belonging wow yeah i hadn't heard the the b on there but I, I but i but i sense that i sense that that that's a, that's a logical addition to this um because I would say working in a collegiate environment, I sense that there's a lot of uh, feelings of isolation and yeah, uh, sure. on not only on part of our students who are, you know, working and existing in, in spaces that, you know, allow them to be isolated, um, you know, because what we did was we tore down all of these traditional dorms and build up these suites, right? And so everybody has a suite. So they have, you know, their own bathroom, they have their own kitchenette, they have all this stuff. So they never have to leave their dorm room for anything to interact with anybody. 
And so the sense of belonging um, doesn't get fostered by, you know, hey, you have to go to the cafeteria or hey, you have to go down the hallway to, you know, to take a shower or something. So in a collegiate environment, you know, that, that sense of belonging is something we've almost designed out of our spaces, you know, by those old traditional dorms that you and I lived in. You know, those were things that I, I don't know if that was what they were the, the designers of those things were thinking, but that was a, you know, a natural byproduct of that, right? You had to meet your neighbors. You had to meet them, you know? Yeah, yeah right. That's for sure. And yeah, it, 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 well, that's a, that's a thing for another day, I guess, where sure. you talk about how colleges have changed and what that's done to the, to the college learning environments. But, um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, I think maybe, maybe it'd be good for you to talk a little bit about um, sort of the the history of UDL or sort of where, what this thing is and why it exists and what its purpose is. And, sure. uh, and then we can go from there to talk a little bit about the, the uh, guidelines or principles. As, as the name suggests, it's about design. It's how, like, how do we design things um, which you and I, you know, are big, you know, believers in design about good design versus bad design. Mm-hmm. And, but it comes uh, really from architecture. So the design of, of space that people use and, and how the design can afford multiple types of use and multiple types of users. Um, and so I think the classic example, and I think I might've mentioned this when we talked about the intro to this, this series was our, about around the curb cut. The curb cut is like, I think the, you know, if uh, the, the poster child for universal design, um, the curb cut, if you're familiar, it's like sidewalks, you're walking along a sidewalk. And what happens when you transition from the sidewalk to the road? Usually, you know, there's a, like a little step off right there. And, uh, you know, probably like a few decades ago, they started replacing those, started you know, jack hammering those out um, to make them more accessible to people who use wheelchairs. So what they did was they started building these little ramps and then, you know, called curb cuts. But what the, but the, the curb cut is actually, you know, not just designed for those folks, those folks who use wheelchairs, it's also affords lots of other use. So people who, um, you know, maybe using a walker, somebody who's like walking with a, uh, like a little kid who's just learning how to walk or somebody who's, you know, learning to ride a bike or maybe uh, somebody who is, you know, blind and, and walking along with, you know, their, your, um, their cane and is tapping along and going, okay, I'm sensing that there's a difference in, in the slope here. Mm-hmm. All of that stuff, it, it's supporting all different types of use. It's not just supporting one use. It's more universal in how the, the people use that, that, that you know, device, that thing, that design thing. And so what, what that some folks in education started saying is, well, how can we do that in our classrooms? And it's not just about physical space. It's also about instructional space. It's also about like the types of things we ask students to do and ask students to access, right? In terms of the things we design in our, our classrooms and the things we, how we present our lessons and, you know, how we assess them. You know, it's, it's sort of like a big umbrella, um, but they're usually, you know, chunked into three big groups. Like, so the first one is, you know, providing multiple means of engagement, like engaging students in multiple ways. Um, providing multiple means of representation. That's the other big bucket. Um, and the last big bucket is uh, action expression. Like, and the action expression is all about like, how do we get the students 
you know, to, to act and express themselves or giving them options to do that. So, you know, when you think about like most of our design as teachers, we're designing a, a lesson that's, you know, sort of affords one way, like, you know, like I'm going to, you know, present this information this way. Students are going to demonstrate their knowledge in one way. Mm-hmm. And so that's great if they're that one way, right? <laughs> if they're, right, right. you know, so what they're asking or what universal design suggests is that using or trying to use multiple means of doing that um, recruits larger population of students. Right. Yeah. And um, I think, you know, I think that this can sort of be seen as um, as a natural extension of some of the stuff we've been talking about, which is mostly focused on talk, right? On right, linguistics. Right. Um, but this is a is sort of a step up from that in the sense of it's about activity structures and it's about the organization of the classroom uh, beyond just the talk that you're doing um, to, to create environments that include more students. Right. So, um, and I think that's, you know, that's a laudable goal. I think, you know, obviously that's something we, we talk about on here a fair bit is, part of the purpose of, of these sort of things like ambitious science teaching, which was the thing we talked about before this, um, is to open up the science classroom and the science community to more people, to more students. Yeah. Um, and so this is really just an extension of that to say, well, how do we, how do we not just talk with kids and help let them talk um, using their own language and, and, their own experiences, but then how do we structure the classroom in all sorts of other ways to support um, a, a larger group of people being able to participate? Yeah, I, I think that that participation thing is the critical part, right? It's like we have to make this space more inclusive for a variety of different types of learners. Now, I want to make sure that we stay in the lane of research-based science, right? Because the concern that I, I, you know, someone might be listening and going, oh, yeah, that's learning styles. That's, you know, we want to have kinesthetic learners. We want to have, you know, you know, and, and oh my. I, no, I, and that's what I'm saying is yeah. that's not that's not what we're communicating here, because there's lots of research to show that there are like learning styles is not a thing. Yeah. Right. That there are, you know, we all learn through a variety of modalities that include kinesthetic, that include, you know, visual, that all of those things are things that we all learn through and we don't have a predominant way. So there's lots of research to show that that's not a thing like this. So there's all this going back to like, you know, multiple intelligences and Howard Gardner and all that stuff that's largely been debunked that there's like a dominant. I don't even think that Gardner present himself presented that it was a, absolutely not. Yeah. No, I, but I think what happened was it became, you know, I don't know, it mista- a, a, a bastard, it got bastardized or yeah, metastasized. I think that's, right. that's the right word. That's the word I was trying to get yeah. out of my mouth. But it was yeah, like, I heard it. I heard it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think this is a thing that it constantly plagues education and maybe sure. all domains of human endeavor, right? Which is when you create a set of categories to try and understand a complex thing, people take those categories to be permanent 
yeah. ways of describing that thing. Um, and, and then start to operate, they sort of reverse the causality and start using that as a tool. And I think that's what happened with Howard Gardner stuff and lots of other people. I mean, I think you can make a laundry list of all the concepts that have been developed and then get turned into this sort of horrible, um, bastardized version of what they originally were. So, yeah, I mean, he was, he was trying to characterize the fact that human intelligence is complex and diverse. Right. And what that got turned into was a heuristic for saying this kid is that kind of learner and this kid is that kind of learner, which is exactly the opposite of what he was trying to say. Yeah. And it became sort of this, you know, excuse for somebody who wasn't being successful in a class, like, you know, but, but I think that the root, so if someone says, Hey, you know what? Um, so someone's presenting something some way, like, so let's say a teacher is, you know, presenting something let's, I'm going to use that terminology, even though that. You, you and I kind of like cringe a little bit at the presentation lecture style thing. Yep. But so let's say, you know, um, a student goes, hey, you know what, this this isn't working for me. I'm not an auditory learner. I'm more of a visual learner. You know, that is something we would both cringe at. We'd go like, this is this is just bananas. Mm-hmm. However, if we flip it on our head and say to the teacher, like, how are you trying to reach, you know, a variety of ways of access, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's, I think, the valuable part of the conversation. And I think that's where it takes us back to UDL is rather than saying to the student, yeah, you are, you're a, you're a visual learner and this is an auditory thing, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, which is bunk. Yeah. But if we instead turn it on its head and say, okay, as a teacher and you're dev- devising or designing this lesson, how are you recruiting as many different ways of learning as possible? Right. That's the better question to ask. And that's the question that leads us to UDL is right. that like, because if you are, you know, designing a lesson that is really only hitting one way of, you know, recruiting interest or one way of access to the information, then any other students who may not, you know, at that moment be, you know, you're like calling the field a little bit, right? You're just right. like, not from the, their, you know, uniqueness as learners, but just, you know, we all like, we all like, I listen, I read a lot. I listen to podcasts. I, I get so many different ways of, you know, gathering information that, you know, it's a variety. Is mm-hmm. any one of them dominant? No, but I find that all of them, depending on what the kind of information is, is something that like, there are things I love to listen to that I would never read. Mm-hmm. Right. I'd never read like, I don't know, this American life, but I listen to it all the time. Right. And there's lots of, I mean, I I think the, to build on that, I think you can also think about this as, you know, if there are these different kinds of intelligences and people have strengths and weaknesses across those kinds of intelligences, which makes sense that that would be a thing, not learning styles, but that you have strengths and weaknesses, then then as a as a teacher your job is not just to, it's not just that by picking one modality you exclude some kids because i think there's some truth to that but it's also the fact that by picking one modality you limit people's ability to develop in multiple areas right so right. if so if you're using multiple modalities what you're doing is providing opportunities for some kids to have to shine and and other kids to 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 develop and so i think Thinking about it that way also is another way to say, like, well, that's another reason to do this kind of, um, you know, mixing of of activity structures and um, 
and tasks and participants and all the all the ways that you can think about this um, is it's not just that the auditory learners will do well with a lecture and the visual learners will do well with a you know a, a concept video, map right. or whatever yeah right um, but that by by mixing modalities and and approaches you not only keep the class engaging but you also develop kids in a more um, uh, in a broader way uh, across multiple aspects of their ability. Yeah. And, and that's, I think the part that UDL is trying to like push for, right. Is they're saying, okay, a lot of this is what we do as teachers as what, how we design the, the, the space, how we design our lessons. And this is, became really critical as we were moving things, you know, during the pandemic, we we're moving so much stuff online that it became like a lot of text-based stuff, right? Mm-hmm. It became a lot of, hey, read this. Or if it was not in a, a learning management system, it was, you know, there's a bunch of schools who sent home packets, yeah. right? That, that like yep. learning became packets. It became, okay, I'm going to print off a whole bunch of stuff for you to read and answer questions and you're going to send it back. And, and that is, you know, privileging one way of accessing information mm-hmm. it's saying this is the dominant way that we're going to have students access information and so we're not developing any other ways any other other what any other ways that students may you know may, i don't want to say prefer but i will say that may benefit from right yeah. is off the table right yep. and so the design of you know the design of the you know learning management systems, the design of our lessons, the design of our assessments, all things we have to think about, like, you know, how do we do this in in really inclusive ways? Yeah. And and, uh, if you don't do this, then what you end up with, which is largely what we have now is, is a sort of intellectual monoculture, right? Which is, which is terrible. I mean, ecosystems thrive on diversity and, and all things biological thrive on diversity. So if we have a, a monoculture, um, where everything is done the same way across schools and grade levels and everything, um, then you limit the who is successful and also you limit the quality and number of ideas and contributions and all the other aspects of what we want schools to do for our society. Like we want everybody to be participating because that richness brings strength and complexity and depth. And if we have a a school system that's a monoculture, well, then we only get a certain kind of kid that's ever going to succeed. And, And then those kids are it. Um, and that and that means we only have basically one narrow way of thinking about what it means to be a smart person. And again, this is what Howard Gardner was fighting against, right? Right. And it it got totally bastardized. And so yeah. he became the, the learning styles guy, which is not really what he wanted to no. be. I no, know. no. Yeah. Well, it, you know, so let, let me let me s- explain how this would play out or how this does play out in my yeah. classroom is that I, I provide students with choices. You know, I, and that this is so I, I go, you can read this or listen to this or, you know, I give them sort of a, uh, a, a like a menu of options, not always, but, you mm-hmm. know, a lot of times where I say, OK, you can. And I, I find that I have some students who do all of it, right, or who go through sure. the menu and say, you know what, I'll pick this, this and this. And so what that's doing is that's 
giving them multiple ways of engaging with the content. And so students are going to, they could listen to it. Like, hey, there's this podcast, or they can watch me being like the talking box thing where Ollie's going to explain something. Um, or they can read it because some students really prefer to read it. And, you know, I let them have a PDF so they could download it and, you know, I'll print it out. Print it out. And, yep. Right. And then mark it up and, and things like that. Um, I also, well, there's a, a thing I do in my classroom where um, this is just like kind of like a, a reading, like I call it a close reading activity, but it's kind of a reading check is that um, I give them a, um, when I give them a reading assignment or I give them, you know, something, some sort of content, I ask them to, you know, process that information before they come to class. And, mm -hmm. and I go, okay, here's seven different ways that you can do this. Pick one, pick one, anyone. You could draw pictures. There's one that's called sketch noting where the students actually sketch note out like on like a piece of paper. And that's where I get some of the really creative things. You know, I have mm -hmm. students who, you know, if they want to record like a little podcast, like, hey, you want to record like a five, 10 minute thing explaining why this thing was valuable to you, go rock on. So I'm giving them lots of ways of demonstrating that they've engaged with whatever assignment I've given them processing it and then that's sort of like acts as the springboard when the students come into my classroom mm -hmm. um and then on the other end of it is when it comes to assessment times there's lots of times where i'll just go okay like i don't really care how you demonstrate what you've done you could here's a list of things you can do but you got to do something right mm -hmm. and i want you to now granted i work in a collegiate setting so that's a little bit different than you know and i also don't have i think this semester i have 100 students but you know some semesters i might have a lot less than that if I was in a K to 12 environment where I had like a, I know some of my you know, friends have 130 students and, right. you know, across their classes. How do you do that with 130, you know, students doing 130 different things? The reality is you're not going to get 130 different things. You're going to get yeah. like, you know, maybe five different things, you know, yeah. but there, it's going to be 130 of the versions of these five different things. Right. Um, but you don't have to do it all the time. You can do it in, you know, at, you know, selected times, like it's some, like maybe summative times where you're like, okay, this is a place where I want to just capture where the student's learning journey is here. Here are some prompts I want you to consider, you know, and I could see that being something really valuable in science where at the end of, you know, one of these units that you've designed um, to help students, you know, make better evidence-based explanations that you say, okay, you can write it. You can talk about it. Like you can, you know, record yourself. You could like, there's a variety of ways that we can get students to communicate their understanding and express the things they've learned that doesn't have to be one dimensional. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. And I, and, and I think, um, so that's a good concrete example. And then, you know, to pop back up to the UDL for a second, like they, so they've established these, these nine guidelines yep. um, that, that articulate those, you know, what, what that means on some level of detail. And each of those guidelines has, has sub points. And I don't think we need to get into all of these because that's just reading to you a, a, a list of things. We can but, put it in the show notes though. Oh yeah. We'll put it in the show notes. And, um, and you know, they, the idea is to try and, um, you know, dig into what it means to provide this kind of access and opportunity across different dimensions, right? So, you know, Ali mentioned the big ones, engagement, representation, action, and expression. Um, and then each of those has three sub, sub guidelines or, or has guidelines. And then each of those has checkpoints underneath it. Um, so, you know, you, the, the idea here is this articulates um, 
a way for you to think about how you design a learning environment, whether that's an online learning environment, whether that's a face-to-face learning environment, whether that's a remote learning environment, right? I mean, it's, it's really uh, th- thus the universal bit. It's really intended to, to offer guidance in, in thinking about these environments in, in prescribed ways. Now, does that mean, back to our, the way we started the show, does that mean there's a checklist? No, it's not really a checklist. It's, it's, um, you know, they, they give examples. Um, so they'll give you examples of particular things that you could do. Um, but they're, at least the main guidelines are pretty, um, I don't know, broad and open for interpretation, but they do sure. give you things to focus on. Yeah. So let, let, it might be beneficial for us to like dig into one. Okay. Yeah. So like, uh, why don't like, so one of them's around, you know, representation and how, you know, we, you know, present information to students to, you know, to, you know, make sure that students get a a variety of different ways and opening it up for, I think the actual uh, is provide options for perception. That's the, the, the specific check, you know, checkpoint. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, So underneath that is one specific, you know, suggestion is offer ways of customizing the display of information. Right. And so, the suggestions they give is, okay, are you using, you know, are you being thoughtful in the size of text, images, graphs, tables, or visual content? So it's asking you just to consider, like, how is that, like, and that's getting into the weeds, right? That is really mm-hmm. getting into the weeds. But I will tell you that there's lots of teachers who don't think about that, who don't think about the text sure. they use. They don't think about, okay, I'm not going to, like, I'm going to put up this video, but I'm not going to close caption it. Well, that's a suggestion mm-hmm. for this is like, you know, have you closed caption your videos? And you're like, well, I don't have any students in my class that, um, you know, are hearing impaired. Well, closed captioning is something that actually benefits a whole lot of people that aren't right. just hearing impaired. You know, so somebody who's maybe in a space where they actually can't listen to the video. And we have some students who are in that, you know, mm-hmm. in those kinds of environments where maybe they can't listen to the video where they're riding the bus to and from school and they're spending an hour on the bus. Or maybe they're in a home in situation in which they don't have that sort of, you know, ability afforded to them, right? right. Or maybe they're an English language learner, right? Yeah. Um, I t- talked about me learning Duolingo, using Duolingo to learn French. I'm finding I'm a much better reader of French than I am a listener of French. Mm. And so at this point, I can read something from French and go and use context clues and figure it out. Listening, I can't. So if you have an English language learner in your classroom and you're going to record a video and have it up there, or you're going to send them to a video, then it's pretty critical that you have, you know, closed captioning for them, not just for the student who may have a hearing impairment, but also someone who either them or their parents are learning the language. So these are lots of like suggestions that you can consider that maybe you're not, maybe a teacher is not considering it because there's just like, they're used to working with maybe that dominant group of their classroom. They're going like, you know what? Like my students are all X. They all are able to do this. Well, to be more inclusive, to, you know, bring in a diverse group of people, we have to be a little bit more intentional with how we design those things. Yeah. And I mean, it, we can actually circle this back a little bit to the conversation last week about, about conferences, because one of the big problems that we didn't d- dig deeply into, but we, we have talked about often is poor quality presentations. And one of the thing that 
things that makes them poor quality is they don't consider some of these precepts, right? So Absolutely. people who put lots of text on their slides, um, like this is a misunderstanding, right? Yeah. Lots of people in the audience in those, in those conferences can't read those slides, right? Because you put so much text on them that, right. that a, they're confusing and B the text is really small. And, you know, I'll just say, I don't know what your conference going experience is, but there are lots of old people there. And, and yeah. I, you know, so if you're, if you're, you know, if you've got glasses with multiple uh, dimensional focal ranges and, you know, you're trying to pay attention during a, 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 a presentation, it's difficult um, when there's a lot of text up there that's messy and complicated. So, Or you have those things, folks who are using every single animation or right. every single like we you and i have a colleague yeah. who who does this right yes who, we do yeah and, he shall remain nameless but he knows yes, who he is right and and but but that's a you know that creates a distraction for yeah. students that may not or for the and here's i will say this is my if there's a udl conference mantra for me all right and some of it's slide design but the big one for me is always use the mic if there's a mic in the room use it right and don't ask hey can Does anybody, me? yeah, right. Does anybody need it? So my mantra yeah. for conferences is always use the mic. Right. Be- because the, that, that person who may need it may not say they need it. Sure. Absolutely. And, and, it, and it's a similar thing to the closed captioning, right? Like, absolutely. Uh, like we, uh, I am amazed how often now we have the closed captioning on when we're watching television. Like, oh, yeah. You know, or it's just a thing that it, and it's not, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, there's a little bit of an accent or sometimes there's just enough background noise that it's just easier to have that as a scaffold there to support you to say, oh yeah, I got the closed captioning running. So if I didn't exactly hear what they said, I can glance down real quick, see what's going on. I mean, sometimes it can be distracting, I guess, but, but the fact that it's there, it provides an opportunity, right? It is right. It, it, and so I do think this idea of like, it's not that difficult to to take a little time and consider w- what the impact of your choices are is uh, in, in the environment right i mean i think and and like maybe like ast and maybe like a lot of these um practices that we'll be talking about you know um you this is something you do gradually right you're not going to try and take on right. all nine guidelines all at once like pick one that you want to focus on and start thinking about, okay, well, if I really wanted to deal with, you know, how do I make the content more flexible? So it does, so it's not dependent on a single sense or, or whatever, which one of these checkpoints might be useful for me to start with and then start modifying your practice that way and seeing what happens. So it's, it's, you know, it's not a, it's not a binary here where it's like either do it or you don't do it. It's like, these are ways to gradually improve your practice and guide it. Yeah. It's a journey. And and some of it like really gets in the weeds in terms of like like if you're working with you know learning management systems, some of it's like okay, like headings, like you know the H one, H two, H three, the HTML headings, like which I have colleagues who don't even know what that is, yeah. but and and but I have gradually moved all of my courses, all of my, like anything that I have in learning management systems. So they're organized correctly in terms of H1, H2, H3s, paragraph headings and all that paragraph. And you're like, well, why, why is that like even important? Who cares? Um, well, a student who may need a screen reader, that's how they access the information and in the they navigate. Yeah. Right. That's how they navigate it. So they come in. And so imagine, you know, 
you open a book as someone who's a visual, you know, that has no visual impairment opens mm-hmm. a book and they're like, okay, I want to read this section. I left off on the section that was about X. So they look through and go, okay, here's the section about X. I'm going to start there because I can look at the, the headings. Yeah. Well, somebody who's using a screen reader. If they don't have some sort of markings for the screen reader to be able to say, okay, here's one, here's section two, here's section three. They have to start at the beginning and cycle through. So it's like, like it's like going to the DVD. Like if you're putting a DVD in there and saying, Oh, I left off on this one section of the movie. And then you could pick that at the beginning, right. And say, I'm going to watch this part of it. Imagine if you had to go from the beginning of the movie, every time to wherever you left off last time, mm-hmm. that's what without the H ones, H twos and all those, that's what happens. Yeah. And so I know it's like, gets into the weeds of like, okay, how do you actually set up the HTML stuff? it's really not hard in most learning, learning management systems is like select text and do a little drop down thing. But these are critical things that can open up access to a population of students who may need it. Yeah. Right? Well, I mean, even if you just said like, take any book that you've read in the last however many years, right. And take out the table of contents, all the yeah. headings, all the chapter markers, everything, and just make it one differentiated block of text and and that would drive you crazy, right? Yeah. Even even if you could put your little you know scrap of paper in there as a bookmark, like there's no like there's no organizational structure there to help you keep track of what's going on. So it, you it makes it makes perfect sense for us to say to someone, oh yeah, you need to have headings and chapter breaks in a in regular text. Well, you know it, it, that should be supported across right? Media. That should be, that's why we could have, you know, that's why it's useful to have chapters in podcasts. Not that we're going to put chapters in our podcast, right? but but, (laughs) you know, yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think this idea of like, you know, organization, I mean, what we're really talking about is organizing the information in a way that makes it more navigable and, and doing that is always better. Like why, why, why not? I mean, unless you're intentionally choosing against it and there are reasons to do that too. Right. I mean, this is, this is what art is. Art is the, the going against expectations of the way the rules work to do something new and interesting and different. Right. So that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but, but, everything's not art. And sometimes you just, if, if the goal is clear um, communication, then organization is always helpful. Yeah. yeah for, for me, one of the things that, you know, so I'm, you know, a, uh, you know, old white guy who's typically, you know, who's navigates content pretty typically. Right. Um, but I'm a red green, I red green color blindness. And so, uh, and that's something that's not, something that's like really, you know, impacted my life very much, except for right. like picking clothes, you know, <laughs> thankfully I've been able to have oh, that explains a lot now. Okay. There it you, does, go. <laughs> you know, but I will say that there are times when I, I kind of hit a wall when I'm trying to access something online or I'm trying to like see a presentation or like where it hits me the most is somebody puts up some sort of graphic in which they're using red and green as the two markers, which typically are the, you know, they use red, green, yellow as the markers because that's the, you know, but I can't differentiate between the red and the green, um, especially when they're like on some sort of graphic and they're close to each other. Um, So any sorts of information that's being communicated that way, I can't access. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's something that like, so if it, if it was a, a graphic that was going to be 
put into a, you know, I don't know, um, a module for a course or something, I would not be able to access that. So anything that would be asked, any questions that would be asked of me would be automatically, I, I wouldn't be able to be successful because I can't even access the information. That's the point. That is the point about being intentional and being thoughtful and trying to use. And the great thing is a lot of learning management systems will give you the heads up and saying, hey, you're using red and green. This is something that, you know, a certain number, like, and you can run um, diagnostics on, you know, the content you have in there mm-hmm. to come, come up with reports to say, you know, is this privileging certain populations over others? That's great information. That's stuff that can help in your design. Yeah. Well, yeah. and this is why universities, um, well, I think all all institutions that are de- designing learning environments for for the internet have people who are responsible for this, right? right? Who whose job it is 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 to make sure that there's accessibility to these things, and that covers all sor- all sorts of pieces that we've already talked about. Things like headings and how do you prepare something for a screen reader, and how do you make it navigable by different kinds of folks, right? right? So I think the, those people exist at universities to to try and and support this exactly this kind of process. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's universal design for learning in a nutshell. I think that, you know, we could spend, I mean, if we wanted to do nine episodes with this and do each one of the check, you know, points and talk about how that implements, I think that's going to get us in the weeds a little too much. We'll yeah. put some link links into the um into the show notes so you can check it out. But I think it's important for you to see as a listener and you, Scott, as, you know, co-host that, mm. you know, we're seeing this sort of like in, inclusive, diverse design, you know, and practices popping up in lots of places. Yep. And, and I think that's great. I think that's a thing we need um, because we want to make sure, like you said, diversity of thought, diversity of voice, diversity, like that sorts of, you know, access is something that we all have to be intentional with. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to that idea that, you know, like biodiversity and, and you hear this, you know, there's books been written about this, about ideas too, like um, thinking about ideas as memes, as an ecosystem, right? The the richer that, um, and not memes in the way that kids think about memes, but yeah. memes the way they were originally conceived, right? As a sort of a core genetic unit of ideas, um, that idea that more of those is better is fundamental. And it, and it's part of one of the underlying practices of ambitious science teaching, connecting back to that, which is that, you know, you want expansion, you want as many ideas on the table as possible because that makes it richer. It makes you think more deeply. It makes you test ideas in ways that are important. And so, you know, diversity isn't just a thing for, I don't know, for a poster to make you feel better. It actually actually improves the environment, right? It improves and, and raises all ships, right? Um, it's the, so, so thinking about it as, as like, this is treatment for special kids that need it is where you sort of get lost, right? That this, right. this really is, this is a choice for the whole community and to improve the, the lives and quality of the whole community. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not for the other, it's for yeah. all, That's right? True. Like we all benefit from that. We all, and that's the universality of this whole thing is that in, in inclusiveness doesn't make, you know, it doesn't take power away from anyone. It gives more power to more people. It gives more voice to more people. And so like, I always worry that someone is going to say, well, you know, if that person, you know, I don't know, gets a seat at the table that somebody else isn't, we'll get Mm -hmm. a bigger table, you know, and 
and I think that's the 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 important takeaway for me. Yeah. yeah. All right. That seems like a good transition to joys. Sure. Yeah. Do, do you have one? I have one. Do you want to go first? I, I don't care. You go ahead. Go ahead, All Scott. Right. Right. I'll go ahead this time. Okay. This this is. Uh, I'm going to say this is a sort of prospective joy because I haven't actually experienced it yet, but I'm gonna, I'm going to assume it's going to be a joy. So, um, so I am going this evening to go see Harry Styles perform in, uh, in Cleveland with my, with my child. Um, so, and she is a, she is a huge One Direction fan, um, from back in the day and is a huge Harry Styles fan, but, but I will say, um, I, I do like his music and I do like him and what he seems to represent as a human being. So, um, so yeah, I'm excited about that. I think he's, he's a, a good guy and a good musician. And I think that's a, that's a nice quality. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And I haven't been, this is the first time I'll see live music. Well, at least of this scale, um, in a long time. So I'm excited. That's cool. Yeah. I, I, I'm a live music fan. And so, uh, I'll, my joy is going to be, a, a some live music too, a concert yeah, I saw okay. just recently. Uh, you know, I kind of like these, you know, up and coming artists, people that, you know, you might not have heard of. So I, this weekend, I, uh, I came across some free tickets to see, uh, a band called Michigander. Uh, they're out of Kalamazoo, Michigan. And, uh, it was a friend of mine had a couple extra tickets. And he's like, Hey, you want to go? I don't know what this band's going to look like or sound like or anything. And uh, I pulled them up on Spotify. I was surprised to find them on Spotify because I hadn't heard of them. And I was like, this is really good. And sure. Free tickets to see a show I'm in. And I saw them at this, this newer concert venue near my house. And there's probably maybe 50 or 60 people there. They're going to now move to open up for a bigger, larger act. So they're going to probably be, uh, you know, someplace near you soon, but check this band out. Michigander. Um, It's like Michigan der, like, you know, like, like people from Michigan. (laughs) Is that what they actually call the Michigan, like people from Michigander? Are they called Michiganders? Yeah, they might be. Yeah. I guess I'd never really thought about it. Michigander. Yeah, it must be. Aren't you from I Michigan? I am, but I, but I'm trying to remember ever calling myself, you know, saying like, I'm from like a Pennsylvania and that's pretty straightforward. Sure. A Michigander. I guess, I guess that is. Yeah. Yeah, I guess yeah. so. So yeah. the, the lead singer of this band is awesome. Has this huge range from like really like low, like, you know, emotional stuff to like almost like, like angelic high notes. It is awesome. It is real. Like I just was blown away. I went in going, okay, I'll stay for maybe a song or two. I ended up staying until the very end. I saw them as I walked out and they were putting, a, putting their stuff in the van. I went up and talked to these guys and I was like, and they're all like, there's like four folks in this band. They're all young, like probably maybe in their early twenties. And I was blown away. They're just, really good so check them out on on spotify and if they're coming to a place near you check them out because it's a they're uh, good stuff yeah nice all right two live musics for you yes live music is back it's back baby yeah it is back all right so you know i guess we'll catch you next time next week i think we're talking maybe oer stuff maybe inclusive practices Um, yeah probably unless something distracts us and we talk about (laughs) squirrel yeah Yeah. Yeah, but we'll see. But uh yeah, we'll see you next time in between. Yeah, we'll see you then.